The Zaddy Zone, welcome to the Zaddy Zone, Zaddy Zone, welcome to the Zaddy Zone. I've been taking this collagen product lately. It's called Collagenius. And let me tell you about it because it's not just regular old collagen. First of all, a little of my experience. As soon as I tried this product, I became a fan of it. I was blown away with the immediate results. I felt focused. My mind was clear. I doubled my mental performance. It became my go-to routine for a productivity boost, immune support, and gut-healthy collagen mixed in there, which I love. Now, you probably have all heard about the superpowers of mushroom extracts and collagen. This product contains the most hyper-concentrated forms of the four best health-boosting mushrooms, lion's mane, chaga, cordyceps, and reishi, collagen, and Peruvian cacao too. Not just cacao, Peruvian cacao. This magic in a jar is called Collagenius. Now, when you combine the cultivating powers of the four mushrooms mentioned above with the various benefits of collagen, it is truly the most effective way to energize your brain and body. Add it to your coffee or simply mix it with water. I like to mix it with hot water in the middle of the afternoon for a little brain boost and some nice protein. It will fuel your brain and body with all-day energy without the jitters or the crashes. So if you struggle with brain fog, you have difficulty focusing and want to repair your brain in a most natural way, do not wait. Check this product out now. It is for sure the hottest mushroom and collagen product on the market, which you must try. Check it out on www.newtopia.com forward slash zaddy genius. Use code zaddy during checkout to save 10%. If you don't like it, they offer 365 days money back guarantee. Again, the special link is newtopia. N double O T O P I A dot com forward slash Zaddy Genius and use Zaddy during checkout to save 10%. Do it now and your brain will thank you. Here we go. Dr. Chris Palmer received his medical degree from Washington University School of Medicine. He did his psychiatry residency at McLean Hospital in Massachusetts and Harvard Medical School. He is currently the director of the Department of Postgraduate and Continuing Education at McLean Hospital and an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. His new book is called Brain Energy. It presents the first comprehensive theory of what causes mental illness, integrating decades of clinical neuroscience and metabolic research into one unifying theory. Mental disorders are metabolic disorders of the brain. Dr. Chris, good day. Good day to you. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh no, a pleasure. So, so mental disorders are metabolic disorders. So, what is a metabolic disorder? It's a good question. Um, you know, the mental health field has been struggling for centuries, actually, to figure out what in the hell causes mm -hmm. mental illness. And you know, still to this day, if you ask some of the leading psychiatrists and neuroscientists what causes mental illness, the answer is no one knows. It's so complicated. Nobody can figure it out. And all we know are these different factors that seem to play a role. Um, and they include things like genetics or neurotransmitters, hormones, uh, inflammation, but also psychological and social factors, trauma, stress, mm -hmm. childhood abuse, all of these things. But if you ask anybody, how do those things fit together? Again, the answer is no one knows. And what I am arguing is that <clears throat> the only way to connect all of those factors, the only way, is by understanding metabolism, or more specifically, the master regulators of metabolism, which are these tiny things in most of our cells called mitochondria.
And once people understand the deep science of metabolism and mitochondria, you can actually begin to begin to understand why would we have dysregulation of hormones or neurotransmitters? How does inflammation play into mental illness? Um, how does stress and trauma and childhood adversity fit in? But more importantly, we can also understand what exactly is causing the symptoms in the brain. Um, and that actually is a lot simpler than I would have ever imagined. When, kind of once you see the big picture, it's like, oh my gosh, now it, it, just, it just all makes sense. It's so obvious now. And the, the really exciting news is it leads to new treatments. Treatments that have the potential to help people fully heal and recover from serious chronic mental disorders, also the mild ones. If you have mild anxiety, this works for that too. But I'm even talking mm -hmm. about the serious crippling mental disorders that ruin people's lives. We can now intervene and help these people recover. Yeah. Would you mind clarifying for me which mental disorders we're talking about when we talk about these, these mental disorders? We're talking about all of them. All, every, all, of them. all of the mental disorders I am arguing are metabolic disorders of the brain. Wow. Okay. Well, this is, uh, I, I can't wait to get into this with you. Let's, uh, let's firstly start about, let's, let's start where you started. Um, I know that you have a personal story uh, with this, but I'd love to hear about your first uh, patient. Was there a first patient who you kind of realized this all with? So, you know, I had been using ketogenic and low carb diets in clinical practice for almost 20 years, working, using it in patients who had treatment resistant depression. And it was sometimes really working well. But the thing that kind of upended everything that I knew as a psychiatrist was when I helped a patient lose weight in 2016. So this particular patient uh, was a 33-year-old man. He had what's called schizoaffective disorder, which is a cross between schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. He had hallucinations and delusions every day of his life. And he was tormented by his illness. He was paranoid, mm -hmm. couldn't go out in public, was terrified that people were trying to hurt him. He had tried 17 different medications and none of them had stopped his symptoms, but they did make him gain a tremendous amount of weight. So weighing 340 pounds, he asked for my help to lose weight. And we decided to try the ketogenic diet. Within two weeks, not only did he begin losing weight, but I started to notice this powerful antidepressant effect even in him, which was really unexpected. I didn't expect it to do anything for his illness because he's, you know, schizophrenia, sure. bipolar, those are totally different than depression. But he's making better eye contact, smiling more, talking more. And the shocking thing was that at about six to eight weeks in, he spontaneously reported that his longstanding hallucinations were going away and that his paranoid delusions were also going away. He began to realize they weren't true, probably never had been. This man went on to lose what's now 160 pounds and has kept it off to this day, but he was able to do things he had not been able to do since the time of his diagnosis. He was able to go out in public and not be afraid or paranoid. He was able to um, complete a certificate program he was able to move out of his father's home for a period of time, and he was even able to perform improv in front of a live audience. 
And that would have been impossible for him prior to the diet. But all of that led me on a scientific journey to understand what in the hell just happened. Yeah. And just to clarify for everybody out there, improv is difficult for anybody. I'm an actor and I hate improv so much. It just strikes the fear of God right into my soul. I love to perform, but I hate improv. Um, so that, that, that really says something. So from there, when you discovered that with this guy, then what did you do with that information <clears throat> ongoing? Did you start other patients on ketogenic diets just to see, and then you were found that you were finding that it was working across the board? You know, it, I quickly started looking in the medical literature because I knew keto as a weight loss diet. I also knew that it was useful for diabetes. Mm. And again, I had been using it for 20 years personally myself. I got started on it on the Atkins diet. And I knew that it had a powerful antidepressant effect, but I also was seeing it have a powerful antidepressant effect in my patients. But I thought, you know, a diet having an antidepressant effect. Yeah, sure. Why not? That, that's not that earth shattering. I'm not going to lose my license and go talk about it or anything and get in trouble. <laughs> um, because, you know, the keto diet is so controversial and a lot of clinicians and researchers and the establishment hate mm -hmm. it and think it's dangerous. And, you know, they, 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 I think one of the one of the major critical pieces of information is that I quickly learned that this is actually a 100-year-old evidence-based treatment for epilepsy, that the ketogenic diet can stop seizures even when pills and surgery don't stop those mm -hmm. seizures. And that was extraordinarily useful information to me for two reasons. One is because we use epilepsy treatments all the time in psychiatry, epilepsy pills, we use them like candy in a way. I mean, we, we pass them out right and left to patients with a wide variety of diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And so on that, on that front, I thought, well, if this diet can stop seizures, maybe it's doing something to my patient's brain that's also beneficial, yeah. just like a seizure medication might. And that's why it's stopping his symptoms. But the second reason this was such powerful information is because we have decades of neuroscience research telling us exactly how and why the ketogenic diet can stop seizures. And so that was really important because I could do a deep dive into the science that already existed. It's all published. Mm. Ready, it was ready for me to discover and review. But once I did that, I could start making the connections with all of the problems that we already know exist in the brains of people with mental illness. And those connections ended up being a match made in heaven. It became clear and obvious why this diet might actually help somebody with a chronic mental disorder. So armed with that information, I did start using this treatment in dozens of patients and have been collaborating with researchers from around the world now clinicians. I've heard from patients and clinicians from around the world. And so we've got literally hundreds of people that I've talked to who have put their chronic mental disorders, chronic depression, anxiety, bipolar, and schizophrenia into full and lasting remission using something like the ketogenic diet. Yeah. And when you say, I'd love to hear what your definition of a keto diet is. Um, some people cycle through keto. I cycle through keto. Um, sometimes I have higher carb days. Sometimes I have no carb days. How do you define 
keto, like, you know, putting somebody on a, a ketogenic diet? There is no universal answer. Mm -hmm. the, the ketogenic diet in my mind is any diet or any strategy. So this can include fasting mm -hmm. or intermittent fasting as part of it, which, which really is not a diet. Fasting and intermittent fasting are the lack of a diet, the lack of food. Mm -hmm. um, but using any of those strategies to force the body to burn fat and turn some of that fat into ketones. Mm. That would be my definition loosely of what a ketogenic diet mm. is. There are numerous versions of ketogenic diets. And this, yeah, I, I just want to make clear for everybody, this is not about the diet wars. It's not about animal source versus plant yes. source foods. You can do a vegan ketogenic diet, a vegetarian ketogenic diet, an omnivore, a carnivore. You can all sorts of variations yeah. of diets that result in ketosis. Um, you can do a lot of highly processed junk food that can still result in ketosis. Or you could do a whole food natural version of a ketogenic diet. So there's a wide range lots of different customs and traditions, Indian, South American, Asian, uh, Western, all sorts of foods that you can consume. So uh, there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer, unfortunately. Yeah. So I guess it's the absence of, uh, my understanding is that if the absence of carbohydrate, the body burns fat for fuel or ketones for fuel for energy. And you're saying that the the using the use of ketones within the body and the brain is what helps a person with a mental disorder? So that so it's really interesting because I don't think it's as simple as ketones themselves. Mm. I think ketones are a biomarker of what's happening in the body and brain. And so um, at the end of the day, I outline um, in the brain energy theory I think the primary reason the ketogenic diet is so powerful is because it is improving mitochondrial health and the number of mitochondria in your cells. That um, It results in two processes called mitophagy and mitochondrial biogenesis. In a nutshell, what that means is that if you do the ketogenic diet for months or years, most of your cells, or at least some of your cells, will have more mitochondria, and those mitochondria will be healthier. And that, in turn, ends up producing innumerable benefits to whole body metabolism, but also brain metabolism and brain function. Yeah, wow. Okay, so I, I want to hear about how mental health is treated today. You know, if we don't, if somebody doesn't go to you, if they go to just a general somebody or other, um, you know, in recent times, um, the pandemic has really affected people's mental health. It's definitely affected their their metabolic health. Um, what have you noticed over the last few years? Has it gotten worse as a clinician? It has gotten worse, not just as a clinician, but a researcher and a reader of research. There is no question Mental disorders were skyrocketing. So, and I just want to point out the, 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 the um, you know, a, a, an interesting pattern. At the same time that the rates of 
diabetes and obesity are skyrocketing in the population. The rates of mental disorders are skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. And it's across the board. It's not just depression and anxiety. It's also bipolar disorder and other psychotic disorders. It's chronic unrelenting depression, but it's also autism spectrum disorder. Rates have tripled in the last 20 years. So across the board, things that we call mental disorders are skyrocketing in prevalence at the same time. There's no doubt that the pandemic added insult to injury. And, you know, at one point during the pandemic um, in 2020, uh, you know, the CDC was doing household surveys to try to get a sense for what, how it was, how the pandemic was impacting people's general health and mental health. And at one point, 40% of the surveyed U.S. adults said that they were having symptoms of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, or substance use disorders. The researchers asked them, have you seriously considered killing yourself in the last 30 days? And 11% said yes. 25% of the adults aged 18 to 25 one in four said yes to that question. The rates have come down somewhat mm-hmm. since that time, but they have not returned to the baseline rates. So the, the, where they were, even though the rates were going up, um, they have not returned to where they were prior to the pandemic. So, you know, to, to answer your earlier question, so what happens when people go for help. You know, right now, without understanding the exact cause of mental illness, we are largely shooting in the dark. So we might try psychotherapy if the clinician thinks psychotherapy might be helpful. And sometimes it is. We might try an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety pill or a mood stabilizer, um, whatever. But we don't do any objective tests We don't even do a symptom checklist that's going to tell us which pill is more likely to work for this patient. Mm -hmm. We, we, We look at the symptom checklist to diagnose them with one or more mental disorders. And then we have a rule of rules of thumb about which, which pills are better for which disorders. But in terms of specifically, which pill are we going to use? We don't really have protocols or guidelines or any objective biomarkers. So what I'm here to argue is that we need dramatically better ways to think about, understand, and treat mental illness because what we're doing is not working. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So the system is broken and the system is mystery or, you know, is just not helping the people that it's setting out to help. I... I wouldn't necessarily go as far as that. What I'm saying is that step one is to understand the science of what's causing mental illness. And once we understand that science, we can then develop rational treatments. And the science and the so the the science in a nutshell is that mental disorders are metabolic disorders of the brain. And you need to understand that. And once you understand that, you're going to understand mitochondria and the role that they play. And then we can look for the root causes of what is causing this person's metabolic impairment. So let me give you a clear example. If somebody is drinking alcohol heavily, 
and smoking a lot of marijuana and smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, all of those are mitochondrial toxins. They are all impairing mitochondrial function. So if that person comes to me and says, I'm depressed, doc, do something for me, the first treatment I'm going to prescribe is not a ketogenic diet. The first treatment I'm going to prescribe is a detox. Mm. We got to get you off all this shit. Right. Now, everybody kind of already sort of knows that. It's not, it's not like that's new and radical. Mm -hmm. But once you understand the science, it is new and radical. Once we detox that person, then we're going to see what have we got. We might actually use the opportunity while that person is in a detox to change up their diet, to get them exercising, to reduce their stress levels, to improve their sleep, to focus on light exposure, you know, no light at night and maybe get some bright light in the morning. Mm -hmm. there are all sorts of other strategies that we can use that we know can play a role in mental and metabolic health. But the primary, my primary goal with that patient is going to be the detox, wait a couple of weeks, and let's see what we're left with. Now, if that person is struggling to stay off those drugs and saying, I can't take it, I'm anxious, I'm restless, I, I'm craving, you got to help me, doc. I might actually use the ketogenic diet with this person because we've got some preliminary research suggesting it might be really helpful in people with alcohol use disorder, which is one of the disorders this person has. Mm -hmm. So I might use a ketogenic diet as one of the strategies. But if, this, if the detox and maybe some general health and wellness strategies work, and this person a month later is like, I feel great. You were so right. It was all the drugs and alcohol. I'm going to stay off. I'm finding a new path. Mm -hmm. And there are people like this all the time. They start going to the gym. They find a purpose in life. Mm -hmm. Maybe through AA, they get connected to spirituality or religion, and that gives them a purpose. Yep. That can be enough. They don't necessarily need keto. They, we've done a metabolic treatment, nothing new. But the new thing is that, you know, the brain energy theory is helping clinicians understand the science of what is happening in this person's brain. Why are we using these treatments? How are they working? And more importantly, if they don't work fully, if this person is still craving and still anxious and still depressed, mm -hmm. we can implement additional strategies to help improve their brain metabolism, to help relieve their symptoms. Yeah. I, my biggest question whilst looking through your work has been a question about childhood trauma or PTSD, uh, about actual things that have people happened to people that have really affected them and hurt them. How does your philosophy work with people like that? So again, that's one of the beautiful things about this theory is it integrates all of the factors that we know play a role. Mm -hmm. So there's no question that adverse childhood experiences and trauma, um, whether it occurs in childhood or not, uh, can result in mental illness. Interestingly, they also result in higher rates of metabolic disorders. Mm. People with childhood trauma or just even, you know, people who have 
you know, been victims of rape are more likely to go on to develop metabolic disorders, obesity, diabetes, premature cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. And they're actually more likely to develop premature or have premature mortality or die early deaths. But not surprisingly to everybody, they're more likely to develop mental disorders. But it's not just PTSD. They're also more likely to develop anxiety disorders or depression or alcoholism or heroin addiction or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Mm. It's pretty much across the board. They're more likely to develop all of the metabolic and mental disorders. And so the brain energy theory helps us understand what is happening. How did that trauma impact this person's metabolism and brain function? And more importantly, you know, the, the, the treatments that are tried and true will still exist. So that person can still try an antidepressant or psychotherapy. But again, we know based on current outcome studies, those treatments fail to work for far too many people. So this theory offers entirely new ways to augment that treatment mm -hmm. or enhance that treatment. And so I might work with that patient to change their diet, possibly even using something like a ketogenic diet. There's a clinical trial going on now of the ketogenic diet for PTSD. Um, but I might use other metabolic strategies like exercise, stress reduction, sleep, and other things. Mm. Mm. So, you know, um, this is, it sounds to me very revolutionary. Um, for people who are in the field, what are they saying to you? Are they, um, are they, uh, are they upset? Uh, is there a lot of science that you have behind you that you can, you can just go, Hey guys, have a look at this. Like, I'm not the one who's like, who's saying this. It's really backed up by a lot of science. So this is backed up by actually centuries of science. Right. Um, so it, it includes clinical science, epidemiological studies. It includes basic cell biology science um, in the mental health field. It includes all of the neuroimaging studies that we've been doing for decades. It also includes genetic research when re, you know researchers have identified specific genes mm -hmm. that put people at risk for mental disorders. And when we do a deep dive into any one of those genes to try to determine, well, what exactly is this gene doing and how does it change the function of cells and how might that result in symptoms of mental illness, they can all be tied directly to mitochondria and metabolism. And so again, I, you know, I, so far I've not received widespread resistance. Mm. Um, it's not really clear how to understand that. So some of the people who have publicly endorsed my book, you can read them on Amazon, are actually some of the world's leading neuroscientists and psychiatrists. Yeah. So, so, so I am not alone. I also want to just say for the record, I'm not the first person to come up with this theory. I mean, I'm the first person to put it all together. Mm -hmm. if, if somebody else put it all together in the way I have, they certainly didn't publish it. It would have saved me five years worth of work. So I wish they had done it. Yeah. Um, wish they published that if they knew all of this already. But others have been close. 
And they've been close because all of the research is pointing to mitochondria and metabolism. Mm. So they've been, they've been saying, hey, guys, but that's, that's going back, you know, since the 1980s. In the 1980s, we had researchers saying autism seems to be related to mitochondria somehow or another. We're not quite sure what's going on, but mitochondria, mitochondrial dysfunction seems to be playing a role in autism. By 2000, um, within, within about four years, we had major researchers at leading institutions, including my own at Harvard Medical School, saying that mitochondria and mitochondrial dysfunction seem to play a role in bipolar disorder, in schizophrenia, uh, and chronic depression. Um, and so the, the research continues to grow to this day. Other researchers have put out theories. But the reason they haven't gotten press is because they haven't connected all of the dots. And many of those researchers put out theories that did not make sense. Mm. They, they didn't line up. It didn't put all the research together. It didn't give a clear, coherent explanation Obviously, somebody's going to disagree with this theory. I haven't heard from them yet. I know that some people have said they don't feel that I've definitively 100% proven my theory, but they also couldn't find anything wrong with it. And on that front, I just want to point out, you know, there's this guy named Einstein who proposed a theory as well. Mm -hmm. And it was called a theory because he didn't have definitive proof of it either yet. Yeah. But it made sense. Mm. It lined up. He took all of the existing science and put it together in one cohesive way to understand it. Now, I do not by any means mean to compare myself to Einstein or this theory to Einstein. He was a genius in ways that I would never, ever be a genius. I honestly sometimes struggle with how the hell did I do this? Like, I, this is shocking mm -hmm. that I put all this together. This is shocking that it makes so much sense because other researchers have been struggling with this and haven't been able to do it. So I'm waiting for those debates. I'm waiting for those discussions. Yeah. For better or worse, they haven't come yet. Well, uh, I say bring them on. Yeah, because I'm ready. Well, I guess that makes sense. Like, if you, it, it, right? So, if you have a theory, you want people to debate it for you to figure out if it's true or not. Like, that's part of what it means to be an intellectual. And um, is that is that how it works? It's like, please come and try and disprove it. That way, I'll know whether it's right or wrong. Yes. At the end of the day, this is not about ego for me at all. Mm. If I'm wrong, I want somebody to prove it wrong and shut it down. Yeah. I'm not here to give false hope to people. I'm not here to be a charlatan. I'm not here to sell a book. Mm -hmm. I'm here to help people whose lives are decimated by mental illness. Mm. I want to help them with actual information, with science, and with practical solutions to their suffering, to their problems. Mm. I want to restore their health. And so if this theory is wrong, bring it on. Somebody shut it down. Prove it wrong. But at the end of the day, what I'm finding is that researcher after researcher who's reviewing it is kind of like, 
I think if anything, like, how did we miss it? <laughs> yeah. It's so obvious now that he, he makes it so simple and obvious. How the hell did he do this? Yeah. And, and let me be clear. I have been obsessed with this issue for like six years and I have tested and refined my theory. There were many times early on in the first couple of years that I came to impasses where I was kind of playing devil's advocate with the theory. Like, wait, if this is true, then how does that work? Yeah. Or how, why would this scientific finding be true? How can I explain that? And there were many times that I reached those points or obstacles where I had to refine my theory or revise it somehow to, to, to make it conform to all of the science. The thing that has me convinced that the theory is correct is that once I understood the theory, once I had the big picture, I could make predictions about things that I would have never imagined were true, but for which we already have evidence for. For instance, smoking is a metabolic toxin it poisons mitochondria. But smokers on average weigh less than non-smokers. So a lot of people would look at them and think, well, you might be metabolically healthy because you're thin, mm -hmm. maybe even athletic. Most people think metabolically unhealthy means fat. Mm. But I'm here to say it does not. You can be metabolically unhealthy and thin and athletic. Smoking is a clear example. So smoking results in higher rates of what? Smoking results in higher rates of heart attacks and strokes. Everybody already knows that. that those are metabolic disorders. Smoking also results in higher rates of insulin resistance. Smoking results in higher rates, about double the rate of type 2 diabetes. But wait, what does smoking have to do with carbohydrates? Or what does smoking have to do with being obese, it, it, it actually doesn't. It makes people thinner, yet it results in higher rates of type 2 diabetes. The only way we can understand that is by understanding the science of metabolism and mitochondria. Smoking also results in higher rates of pretty much all of the mental disorders. So once you understand something like that, it's quite counterintuitive that smokers would have higher rates of insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. Most people would think they have nothing to do with each other. But once you understand the science, you can connect dots that you would never imagine should be connected. And you can make sense of all of the existing research. Mm. And so that's kind of what I've been obsessively doing over five the last five years in particular. And uh, so I have I really didn't want to come out and look like an idiot. <laughs> so I really didn't. I was I was worried like I'm not going to make a fool of myself and lose my job and just make, you know just go. I really need to make if I'm going to do this, I need to make sure this is right. Yeah. And uh, so I so I really did quite a bit play devil's advocate. Um and the more I tested, the more I recognized, oh my god, I think this is it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people would be listening to this and asking the question about how they can keep their mitochondria healthy. Is the ketogenic diet or a, a diet that focuses um, less on carbohydrates 
uh, better from your mitochondria? So the ketogenic diet um, and low carbohydrate diets are special in that they, the ketogenic diet in particular does, um, again, result in this repair process of mitochondria and it results in mitochondrial biogenesis. So mm. after doing it, people have more mitochondria and healthier mitochondria in their cells. But again, it's not it's it's not a universal strategy that I would recommend for all human beings. Mm -hmm. It's not even a universal strategy I would recommend for all people with mental disorders or even metabolic disorders. If they want to do it, I'm not going to stand in their way because I think it's a powerful intervention and a powerful diet, and it results in a lot of benefits to human health. Mm -hmm. But if somebody says, I don't want to do a keto diet, they may not have to. I, I describe lots of patients... Um, and I've worked with many patients who have not done keto diets, who've maybe changed their diet in other ways, mm -hmm. removed sugar. That's it. They're, they're not keto. They're still eating flour and baked goods and other things. Yep. But they just removed a lot of the sweets and the sugar. Um, and that may have been enough for them. Other people, one, one patient of mine went to Weight Watchers and did that to lose weight. But she also was able to get off a lot of medications that I think were harming her. Mm -hmm. um, she started exercising quite vigorously and actually became a semi-professional athlete. And that was her path to healing her metabolism and her chronic mental disorders. Mm -hmm. She had many. Um, that was her path. So I think there are a lot of different paths that people can take. But the good news is that there are paths. There are ways to heal. People should not give up. People should certainly not be told, you have a chronic disabling treatment-resistant disorder. Sucks to be you. You're going to be disabled the rest of your life. There's not much more we have to offer. Mm. That needs to stop now. Yes. And there's lifestyle changes that can be made. It doesn't have to be keto, but it can be just you know getting better sleep, getting outside in natural light in the morning, taking out sugar from your diet that actually will benefit people. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Um, you know, I heard about you at a, a fancy dinner party that I was at with all these health um, gurus and I was, I wrote down your name in my phone. I was like, I have to look this guy up. I heard about you as like, they were like, this guy is onto something and he has the science to back it up. And they're like, we, we don't know how it's going to go for him. Let me, let me ask you, are you scared? In a way, because some of this stuff, it seems like a bit of an answer and a bit of an enemy to Big Pharma, which would be like, let's prescribe them up the wazoo and that'll fix them. Or, yeah, or let's hope that that fixes them. Are you scared? Um, obviously not too much. <laughs> I feel like that's I'm, the first time I'm you've heard that question. I'm because <laughs> I'm I'm doing it, thinking about it. I, I can't say that I can't say that I have not thought about this and been worried about it. Mm -hmm. And actually, when I thought about writing the book the first time, I actually was going to leave out some of my critical science of some of the existing treatments. Mm. The, in particular, treatments like antipsychotic medications that we know impair metabolism. They cause weight gain. They cause diabetes. They cause um, a lot of these problems. Um, I recognized how controversial that was going to be. And I recognized how that might 
alienate me from mainstream mental health. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I, I made the decision that people deserve the truth. Humans are suffering today. They want information that they can use to get better. They deserve that. Could this theory, will this theory be detrimental to some of those medications? There's zero doubt in my mind if people take this, this theory seriously, yes, it absolutely. In, in the business world, this is called a disruptive innovation. Um, it is going to disrupt the status quo. Mm -hmm. And industries that are thriving right now are going to be pissed. And they are going to be threatened. And they are going to resist this change for obvious good reason. If I had a multi-billion dollar drug that I own the patent for, I wouldn't want Chris Palmer and his stupid theory coming along while I'm raking in the dough. Mm -hmm. I, I, that doesn't make somebody evil, just makes somebody human. Yeah. <laughs> but again, my loyalty is not to drug companies. My loyalty is not even to the psychiatric profession or the mental health profession. My loyalty is to the human beings who are suffering from mental illness, who deserve better answers and better solutions, who deserve better lives. And I will fight like hell for them. And I will take on any pharmaceutical company. I will take on any researcher. I will take on any clinician. I will take on anyone. Now, I might get shot down fast. Maybe I'll get killed. Who knows what will happen to me? But uh, I'll at least fight because I think people with mental illness are worth fighting for. I agree. I mean, you know, you know and if you did die in this pursuit, it's a great thing to die for. Well, I've actually often said we only get one life. And uh, I'm pretty passionate about helping people with mental illness. And for a long time, up until six years ago, I was also pretty hopeless about our field. Yeah. Um, I, I knew that our treatment, I, you know, and it's not abject hopelessness. There's no doubt in my mind I have helped lots of people. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with pills and sometimes with psychotherapy, sometimes with ECT. There is no doubt in my mind I have helped people using standard treatments. I know that. And I have no remorse about that and no regret about it. And I would use those standard treatments again in the right circumstances. But I have also been painfully frustrated with our field, with the lack of understanding, and more importantly, with the lack of effective interventions that can restore people's health in their lives. Mm. And you know, up until six, seven years ago, if you asked me, do you think that's ever going to happen in our lifetime? I actually was pretty consistently telling patients, no, the brain's too complicated. Yeah. Nobody can figure it out. It, we're so far away from understanding all of this. It's just impossible. Mm -hmm. There's no way that's going to happen in my lifetime. And so now being here in 2022, recognizing that I might be the person who came up with this 
breakthrough in how to see the big picture, mm -hmm. how to understand how all of the factors fit together and how that understanding can lead to more effective treatments. It's quite honestly mind blowing and dumbfounding. Um, again, as I said earlier, if I'm wrong, bring it on, prove me wrong. Let's have that debate. Let's have that discussion because I don't want to be spreading false hope. Um, and I don't want to be getting people worked up for something that's not true. Yeah. But I'm seeing dozens, if not hundreds of patients whose lives are restored based on this theory. People, you know, one of them, you know, it's the son of a billionaire. Mm. They were, they're billionaires. They had access to the best of the best. Mm. And they took their son to the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, they were told he's got a horrible chronic mental disorder and he's probably going to be disabled for life. Mm -hmm. And we don't really have anything better to offer. And he now has an entirely different life. Yeah. And they are equally passionate about seeing this through and using a lot of their wealth to make this treatment available to the millions and millions of other people who deserve it and need it. Excellent. And so I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm really honestly hopeful. It's a little dumbfounding how much support I've gotten, how many rich and famous people I'm meeting these days. Great. <laughs> Cause I'm just Chris Palmer from Indiana. I don't know how the hell this happened, yeah, right. but, uh, 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 but it's, kind of interesting we'll see where it goes yeah any advice for people out there who might be listening with mental illness and who are looking for something to to help them what would your uh steps be what what should they do first and foremost i really do want you to learn about the theory or read the book it's not because i'm trying to sell a book i'm really not trying to sell a book i don't give a shit about the book i don't give a shit whether it makes money my publisher is going to hate me for saying that but <laughs> um, but that is not my goal my goal is to help human beings but the first step in helping you or helping you help your loved one is for you to understand the big picture you have to understand the science you have to get how and why this all fits together mm. um once you understand the science you can begin to map out a rational treatment strategy. And that might mean changes in medications that are prescribed currently. It might mean diet changes. It might mean changes in substance use, um, stress levels, sleep, uh, hormones, all sorts of things. And I map out a lot of the big things to consider in a treatment plan. If you're somebody with a mild to moderate mental illness that has never been life-threatening or dangerous, you can implement most of the treatments outlined in the book on your own. You can do this on your own. If you're currently taking prescription medications, I really, really implore you to please work with your healthcare provider to get off them in a safe way. Mm. That is not a do-it-yourself project. It just isn't. Getting off psych meds is extraordinarily difficult and dangerous, and people get into trouble all the time. I've seen it countless times. I'm not saying this because I'm pro-medication or telling everybody they must be on medication. 
but because getting off medications is dangerous. I've seen it. Please get help. Yep. Um, if you are somebody with a more serious mental disorder, and what is serious, anything that impairs your safety or other people's safety. And that could be a substance use disorder, a psychotic disorder, bipolar disorder, severe depression with suicidality. It could be a severe eating disorder. Those are serious disorders. They're threatening your or other people's safety. They require serious help. They're not do-it-yourself projects at home. They're just not. I wish they were. I really, I'm not saying this to be stingy or depriving. They are not, they're, they're serious disorders. Like if somebody had cancer, I'm not going to recommend that, well, here's some chemo and radiation you might try at home. Yeah. Um, like that's not the way we do it. And yep. that's not the way we should be treating serious mental disorders either. So I would want you to read the book understand the theory, and then talk to your mental health provider or whatever healthcare pro professional is treating you. Talk to them about your understanding of the brain energy theory, what you might want to try, what are your thoughts. I want you to get your healthcare practitioner interested in this theory if they haven't heard of it. I want them to become a partner with you. I am hoping sometime soon, either myself or others who are all working in this space, that we will develop training programs for mental health clinicians to bring them up to speed rapidly That uh, and other healthcare clinicians who just happen to be treating mental illness. That includes pretty much all of them. <laughs> so even if you're an OBGYN or a primary care doc or a pediatrician, guess what? You're seeing mental illness all the time too. Mm. Um, so you might be interested in this. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to develop more resources, patient education resources, maybe patient support groups. There's so much work to do. I really hope that people will go to a website. It's called brainenergy.com. I'm hoping that that will become a landing spot for a lot of these resources that I'm talking about. At this point, the plan is to make whatever we can put together free. So it's not, I'm not trying to get money out of you. Mm -hmm. um, although if people are in a position to support some of this work, I can only do so much. So if, you know, we could use all the help we can get. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, if people really want change, if you know somebody with a mental illness who is not getting better, and you think they deserve better than what they're getting, we must have a grassroots movement. We must. Enough is enough. Mm -hmm. Insurance companies don't cover mental health treatment. They're going to resist covering these types of treatments. I mean, right now we have children and adolescents across the United States who have cut themselves and are suicidal being warehoused in emergency rooms with nowhere to go. And they are discharged from those emergency rooms without ever receiving mental health treatment. And the reason is because insurance companies don't pay enough for mental health treatment. And why is that? Why do we have such injustice? 
if you want to find an outpatient mental health clinician, a psychiatrist or a therapist, and use your insurance, good luck. <laughs> good luck. It's next to impossible to find a, a clinician who will take insurance. Even if you've got money that you're willing to pay, you're, you're willing to pay three or $400 a week even then, it can be hard to find a clinician who will take you. Why? Because nobody's doing anything. Mm. Everybody's just sitting home, feeling hopeless and suffering and watching their loved ones suffer. And why? Because mental disorders are highly stigmatized. But nobody wants to march in the streets for ineffective treatment anyway. The treatments we're offering don't work. There's nothing to get worked up about. There's nothing to go march in the streets for. What are you going to do? March in the streets so that your son with schizophrenia can be put on antipsychotics, which just sedate him but don't make him better? Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to march for that. I believe this is something to march for. This is hope. This is science. This is evidence. This is a new path forward. But we need major changes. We need insurance changes and government changes and all of it. And without a grassroots movement, I'm Chris Palmer. I'm not going to be able to change it. And the few other people that are doing this work, we are a small group. We're not going to be able to do anything. Without all of you, Nothing will change. And the people that you know with mental illness will continue to go on and suffer. So on that note, how can we follow you and possibly help you in this journey? Brainenergy.com. Go to brainenergy.com. All my social media things are there. I've also got a different website, chrispalmermd.com, if you want to learn more about my work specifically with the ketogenic diet mm -hmm. or some of the clinical work that I am hoping to get started right now. I'm not taking new patients or consultations. I am overwhelmed with requests, which is great that people are interested in this mm -hmm. and it's heartbreaking for me as a clinician to have to be turning everybody away right and left. Yep. But, uh, people can learn more about it there. Um, but so you can follow me on social media you can get involved. Again, brainenergy.com, I am hoping, will become a landing page for a grassroots movement to transform the mental health field. Amazing. Uh, sometimes on this podcast, I talk to people that I feel like are uh, <laughs> out of my league. You know, I'm just an actor. Uh, and you're a, you know, a professor in Harvard, and you're doing all this incredible work. I just want to thank you for coming on my show and talking to me. Um, and if there's anything I can do to help you, I would love to help you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much, Doc. I will reach out. We, we need lots of help. Yeah, so. <laughs> let me know. Watch what you, watch what you promise. <laughs> I'm going to be hitting you up and you're going to be like, Chris Palmer, go away. I'm busy. Well, we're still recording. So like this is, this is in perpetuity now. It's good. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Doc, thanks so much Thank for coming you. on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Zaddy Zone. If you found this useful slash enjoyable, go ahead and hit subscribe and then feel free to share it with your friends and rate it, but only rate it if you're going to rate it five stars. Deal? Love you.